Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. I am grateful for you and glad you're joining me on the podcast. If this is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the host of the Bible in Life, and my heart, my goal is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. And by that, I mean Bible teaching that is in the language of everyday life, set in the context of everyday life to help us follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. Down-to-earth Bible teaching that aims at helping us live as disciples of Jesus. So that's what we're all about here on The Bible in Life. And so thanks for being here. Glad you're joining me on this episode. The Bible in Life is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching effort that is made possible by the support and generosity of folks just like you. So if you're somebody who supports this ministry and makes this possible, let me just say from the bottom of my heart, thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so at johnwhitaker.net. Just click the Give button and you can set up a one-time or recurring monthly donation right there to help support this ministry so that it can continue to grow and impact the lives of people all around the world. Also, I am currently in the midst of lining out, kind of praying over and brainstorming and lining out uh, the next several months worth of podcasts, a podcast series at least, on the Bible and life. And so, man, if you have a topic you want me to discuss, if you have a Bible question or a passage or a section of scripture or a theology question that you've been wrestling with, uh, anything like that, anything you would like me to discuss as far as um, helping you understand the Bible, learn and live the Bible, then shoot me an email at johnwhitaker.com. Net. All right. So John at johnwhitaker.net. You can shoot me an email uh, with, hey, would you consider exploring this? Would you think about doing that? And uh, I'll definitely put it on the list of ideas to consider as I line out the next couple months. I would love to actually interact with and answer and address things that you're actually wondering and thinking about. So shoot me an email, john at johnwhitaker.net, and uh, let me know what maybe I can explore on the podcast over the next couple months. All right, over the last few episodes, we've been really wrestling with the authority of God. We've considered how that uh, God's authority is what makes the Bible authoritative and that it's God's authority being mediated through the scriptures that makes the scriptures have any weight or authority in our life. We've looked at the implications of that, how that means we need to fear the Lord, we need to arrange ourselves under him, that ultimately our life is not our own and that we exist through him and for him and thus our life doesn't belong to ourselves, and we can't do whatever we want. So we've been exploring all of that. And this idea of God being the absolute boss, being completely in charge, being the, the highest authority in life, um, that, can, that can sound intimidating. Uh, that could actually be troublesome and bothersome. That could maybe stir up some angst, um, depending on the person and depending on their experience with various authority figures over the course of their life. And in fact, in general, 
the culture I live in, American culture, really has a very low view of authority. We distrust authority figures. We assume they're all just out to get um, something for themselves, right? They're all serving their own agenda. And so when they're nice, what's their angle? Um, when, you know, they're in charge and they're being heavy handed, we just say, yeah, that's just the way it goes. And we just generally speaking, distrust authority figures and assume um, that it's just all about power and control, right? And getting something for themselves. Generally speaking, that's a sweeping generalization, but there is that, um, underlying sentiment kind of across the board, that general assumption in, in American culture by and large. Um, and then you add to that individual experiences of authority with maybe a father who was just distant and withdrawn, but heavy handed and all about the rules or whatever it might've been, maybe even an abusive father or right. Like we, we've, or teachers who just were manipulative and controlling or whatever it is. Whatever experiences we've had with authority, uh, particularly negative experiences, will reinforce that suspicion of authority, will deepen that suspicion of authority. And so then when someone like me comes along and has a podcast that says God's the absolute boss, man, that can be that that can we can hear that from that same place with that same suspicion and that same spirit of distrust and then when when i go on to say and that means your life isn't your own you exist for him so you kind of got to do whatever he tells you to do uh, man that could just stir up all sorts of whether subconscious or conscious all sorts of um emotions and reactions and so what I want to do to kind of wrap up this series about God's authority in our life is I want us to think about what kind of authority figure God is. What kind, when God's the absolute boss, what kind of person is he? How does he um, express his authority? What ultimately drives him as an authority figure? Now, this is a huge topic and a big subject, and obviously we can't deal with all the nuances of that, all right? Like, God is a person, and he is an infinite person, and thus his personhood is deep and complex, and there's no way we could ever fully fathom all of that. So we have to understand that, and in the next few minutes we have together, obviously we can't say everything about that, right? Like, God certainly is holy. The scriptures, as we talked about a few episodes ago, call us to fear him, which means honor him and respect him and stand in awe of him and treat his holiness and his personhood with the highest honor and respect, right? Like we, we are called to that. But what I want to focus on is how God describes himself and how God expresses himself. This will help us understand kind of the fundamental driving motivations of of God's personhood that sets his therefore authority in its proper context. And so in uh, in Exodus chapter 33 and 34 there's this interesting moment with Moses and God where Moses basically says that he would like to see God. And God tells him, "Well, look, no one can really see me and live." And that's just an inherent sort of thing. God's particularly sinful people and God's ultimate personhood and glory is so overwhelming that it wouldn't be good for us, right? Uh, but 
God's going to honor Moses's request and give him at least a glimpse of him. And so Exodus chapter 34, you get God coming to appear to to show Moses a glimpse of himself. And as he does, this is what happens. And this is how God describes himself. This is important. This is God's self-description. And this becomes the most quoted passage about God in all of the Old Testament. So this is a central moment for understanding who God is and how God operates and how God would describe himself. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed. So here it is. Here's God's self-description. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, steadfast love and truth, who keeps his love to a thousand generations, who forgives wrongdoings and violations of his law and sin. And yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Notice that last line. God will hold people accountable, but it's in this context of God being compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that he'll punish, right? And so it, it takes a lot to get God angry. It takes a lot to, to uh, move God to punish sin because he's slow to anger and he's compassionate and he's merciful and he's overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so um, that's how God describes himself. And as I said, that becomes the most quoted passage in of the Bible in the Bible. It's the most quoted description of God all throughout the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 103, verse 8. And so Psalm 103 begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Well, down in verse 8, we get a, a uh, quote, basically, from Exodus 34. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Or again, the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, um, where there's this call to uh, the people of God, the Israelites, to repent. And so it says this. Here's what the Lord says. Return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning. Because they've been worshiping idols. They've been breaking his uh, commands and his covenants. And so God is appealing to them. Return to me. Do so with fasting, weeping and mourning. Make it a wholehearted, full-bodied return. Tear your heart, not merely your garments. Imagery from this practice of repentance, right? Like in their world to repent and demonstrate your, your sorrow and that you're changing your ways. You would tear the, the top of your, like the collar of your robe. Well, God says to him, don't just do that. Tear your heart, rend your heart, like make your repentance from the inside out, return. And so then the prophet Joel follows up with the Lord's word saying, so return to the Lord, your God, for... Here's the quote. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. All over the Old Testament. That's the description of God we get. And this is who God is. And so when we say that God is the absolute boss, what kind of person are we talking about? We're talking about this kind of person. The, the God who is compassionate 
and gracious, the God who is merciful and slow to anger, the God who abounds in chesed in Hebrew, steadfast love, loyal love, that kind of love that sticks with his covenant, sticks with his people, stands by people. He is abounding, overflowing in chesed, overbounding, overflowing in steadfast love and truth right? He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So he's the ultimate boss, but he's this kind of person. And so his authority is going to be uh, expressed in, driven by, um, it's going to be affected by the way it's going to be carried out by this kind of character. And that means it's not going to be overbearing it's not going to be full of self-interest. It's not going to be heavy-handed. It's not going to be quick-tempered, right? It's not going to just fly off the handle and you're not sure what went wrong or what happened. That's not the, the way God expresses his authority because that's not who God is. We see the same sort of thing in the way God uh, really expresses himself in action in the person of Jesus. This passage in Philippians chapter 2 is just so important for our conception of who God is and how God operates. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is actually using Jesus as an illustration of the kind of other-centeredness and self-giving love and self-sacrifice that that uh, God's people, the followers of Jesus, us Christians are supposed to have towards each other, that we're supposed to, we're supposed to embody the same sort of self-giving um, behavior and love that we see in Jesus. That's the function of Philippians 2, 5 through 8 in context. But here's what it says, and here's why it's important for this discussion here, is because in context, it's a discussion or a description of how God acts, what God did. So let me read you and kind of comment as we go. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse eight or verse 5, down through verse 8. Have this attitude or this mindset is the idea in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Jesus had this mindset. You have this mindset. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is an illustration of what he said in verses 3 and 4. Here's the mindset. Picking up in verse 6. So here's how Jesus acted, what he did. Who, that is Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, that is, he existed in whatever makes God God, he had that full godness. That's the idea of form, the essence of a thing. And so he existed in the very essence of Godness. Everything that God is, Jesus was, right? Like, so the second member of the Trinity, fully God, right? And so he existed in the very form of God. So who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, a lot has been written on this whole passage and this particular phrase, but here's the force of what's being gotten at by that phrase. Um, he didn't cling to his rights as God. He didn't cling to, well, I'm God, you know, and I don't have to do that. Well, it's not my mess, you know, so I shouldn't have to go clean it up, you know, right? He didn't use his godness uh, to defend his rights. He didn't use his godness for his own advantage. That's the force of that phrase. So, who, although he existed in the form of God, didn't use his godness for his own sake, 
for his own advantage. Well, how did he use his goddess? Here we get how God acts, how God expresses himself. He is the absolute boss. He is completely in charge, but he is also a God overflowing with steadfast love. So how did he express his godness? Well, not to defend his own rights and not to get his own way, but he emptied himself. He poured himself out is the idea. He lowered himself. Uh, some translations will even say he lowered his status, right? He, he took a step down. And that's the idea. This whole passage is like this downward trajectory of, of Jesus, of God the Son. How he, he went from having everything that God had and being everything that God had to emptying himself, to lowering himself, to pouring himself out. What does that mean? Well, he did that. He emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. So he existed in the form, morphe, of God. He had everything that made God, God. And he moved down the line to the very form of a slave. Um, and being being born, being found in the likeness of men. That's the idea. And so he became a servant. He became a human being. And so he goes from absolute godness to a human being and thus a servant, not just any human being, a human being born in the backwaters of the Roman Empire to a peasant couple who were so poor, they had to offer the poor person's offering at the, at the time of his birth, right? A pigeon, because they couldn't afford a, a lamb. And so he's born as a poor person in the backwaters of the empire to a people who are under foreign occupation. Verse 8 continues, and being found in appearance as a man. So, um, I mean, like, to all appearance, he was nothing more than just a human being, right? He didn't have a halo above his head. He didn't radiate divine glory. He just was as human looking as any other person. Slept, ate, drank, got tired, took naps, right? All of that, fully human. Um, in that state as a human being, he went down even further. So he stepped down to humanness. Now he's going to step from humanness even lower. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So he obeyed God and God's will all the way to the point of death. And then he goes even further, not just any death, death on a cross. Like in the, the Roman Empire, that was the lowest place you could go. The whole point of crucifixion was to publicly, not only execute, but to publicly shame and humiliate the victim as a warning to everyone else don't mess with us, the Roman Empire, or we will do this to you. And so that's why crucifixion victims were stripped naked. That's why they were hung uh, in one of the most visible public places um, in a, a city or outside of a city, right, where the roads came by so everyone would see. And so notice the, the pathway. Everything that makes God God, he had. To becoming a human being, and being a servant of God and a servant of people, to um, humbling himself to the point of death, all the way down to death on a cross. That's how low he went. And the point is, remember, this is how God expressed himself. As God, he didn't use his powers and rights and authority as God 
for his own sake, to be grasped for himself is the idea. Instead, he poured himself out for the sake of others. That's who God is. That's how he expressed himself. Yes, God is the absolute boss. Yes, God is completely in charge. Yes, God is also holy and deserves to be feared. But all of that has to be taken in this context of how God described himself in Exodus 34 and all throughout the Old Testament and how God expressed himself in the person of Jesus by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as I meditate on that, and I hope as you meditate on that, what, what you'll see, what I see, is here is an authority figure that can be trusted. Here's an authority figure that doesn't have his own self-serving, selfish ambition, self-interest at heart. He has my interests at heart. He has your interests at heart. And thus, yes, he's completely in charge, but he's good and he's trustworthy and he laid down his life for us. Like God literally loves you to death. And that's an authority figure that can be trusted. And so my hope and my prayer is we will arrange our life under God's authority. We will recognize that we don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for him. And yet, he, as the kind of person he is, means when we give ourselves to him and arrange ourselves under him, we will experience his goodness and his grace and his steadfast love so fully and increasingly fully uh, that we'll actually become the kind of person we were always designed to be. That submitting to his authority is the best choice we could ever make because he has our best interests at heart. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray that you and I would be people who trust God wholeheartedly because he gave himself completely and fully to us in the person of Jesus. I hope you have a wonderful week in Christ. I look forward to talking to you again next week.